Welcome to the Northbound Wealth Podcast. All opinions expressed by me, my co-hosts, or my guests are solely our own opinions and do not reflect the opinions of Northbound Wealth Management, LLC. This podcast is for informational and educational purposes only and should not be relied upon for any investment, tax, or legal advice, or as a solicitation to offer or buy any securities. Clients of Northbound Wealth Management may maintain positions in the securities discussed in this podcast. Ten tips for newly married couples. Prevent a rift. Money tips for newlyweds. Here we go. Research suggests that 70% of married millennials argue about financial decisions more than any other topic. I would say that's most people, not just millennials. This could explain why some experts say financial problems are one of the top reasons marriages fail. I agree with that. Fortunately, when couples work together to address their finances, they may be able to mitigate some of the many problems money may cause in a marriage. So here are the 10 tips. Number one, communication. Couples should consider talking about their financial goals, memories, and habits as each partner may come into the marriage with fundamental differences in experiences and outlooks driving their behaviors. Number two, set goals. Setting goals establishes a common objective that most partners become committed to pursuing. You're a team, do it together, right? Number three, create a budget. That's the foundational step, right? A budget is an exercise for developing a spending and savings plan that is designed to reflect mutually agreed upon priorities. Number four, set the foundation for your financial house. So getting your house in order, right? Identify assets and debts. Look to begin reducing those debts while building your emergency fund. If you've ever heard Dave Ramsey talk about tackling or or going after the debt snowball, it's one of the baby steps they put out there. Number five, work together. By sharing the financial decision-making, both spouses are vested in all choices, reducing the friction that can come from a single decision-maker. Number six, set a minimum threshold for big expenses. While possessing a level of individual spending latitude is reasonable, large expenditures should only be made with both spouses' consent. Agreeing to a purchase amount should require a mutual decision. Number seven, set up regular meetings. Set aside a predetermined time once or twice a month to discuss finances. Talk about budgeting, upcoming expenses, and changes in circumstances because after all, life does happen. Number eight, update and revise. As a newly married couple, you may need to update the beneficiaries on your accounts, reevaluate your insurance coverage, and revise or create your will. Number nine, love, trust, and honesty. Approach contentious subjects with care and understanding. Be honest about money decisions you know your spouse might be upset with and trust your spouse to be responsible with handling finances. Number 10, consider speaking with a financial professional or counselor. (laughs) A financial professional may offer insights to help you work through the critical financial decisions that all married couples face. 
check this out. The Giants have made an offer to Aaron Judge believed to be around $360 million. That is one heck of a contract, man. Jeez, amazing. But, you know, the guy is, is an awesome baseball player, so keep that in mind. Also, in other news, I love what e- Elon Musk is doing with Twitter. Just love it. What a fascinating um, management style. What's amazing to me is he fires half the workforce and Twitter still is up and running. And then also they're, he's just tackling a lot of uh, political correctness and stuff that was going on behind the scenes that is totally uh, wrong. And uh, shame on the people that were there doing it. That's It's just insane. So uh, if you're... If you don't know about the stuff going on, just jump on social media and start following what Elon Musk is doing at Twitter. Um, it's very interesting. And then the stock market is uh, highly volatile at the moment. Uh, we're heading into end year and you've got uh, this week already, uh, the Dow was down 500 points the other day, yesterday, and then down again this week. And so what I'm going to do is dive into the weekly market insights. Again, this is Brent Foster, your podcast host of the Northbound Wealth Management podcast. And we were going to review last week and then some of the monthly stuff, uh, which transpired back in November. Let's just dive in. Uh, The headline, easing on rate hikes and job numbers cheer markets. Today is December 5th. Stocks edged higher last week as investors navigated the cross currents of a potential easing in future rate hikes and continued strength in the labor market. The Dow Jones Industrial Average edged up to 0.24% higher, while the S&P 500 gained 1.13%. The NASDAQ Composite Index improved by 2.09% for the week. The MSCI EFA index, which tracks developed overseas stock markets, that's foreign markets, non-US, was up 1.68%. <clears throat> the Dow Jones Industrial Average closed the week at 34,429. For the year, that's down 5.25%. The NASDAQ closed at 11,461. That's down 26.74% for the year. MSCI EFA international markets, uh, closed at 1,995. That's down 14.56% for the year. The S&P 500 closed at 4,071, which is down 14.57% for the year. The 10-year treasury note closed at 3.51%. In year-to-date, that's up 1.99%. So for the week, it was down about 18 basis points or 0.18%. So it was pretty choppy. Expect that to happen between now and the end of the year for it to be choppy, that is. The week started lower on concerns about protests in China over its zero COVID policy and comments by two Fed presidents that the Fed may continue its aggressive rate hike policy. Stocks then surged on Wednesday following remarks by Chairman Powell confirming the central bank's intention to slow the pace of interest rate increases, which may begin as early as this month. Stocks buckled on Friday's monthly employment report, which showed a higher than expected increase in new job growth and an above expectations jump in wage growth. But stocks cut their losses by the end of the session to lock in a positive week. Labor may be the key. So focusing on labor in a presentation to the Brookings Institution, Powell said 
that it might be time to begin moderating the pace of rate hikes. He cited several areas of progress in the inflation fight, including a deceleration in interest rate sensitive parts of the economy, such as housing and supply chain improvement. He also noted that price declines seen in goods and rents. But Powell suggested that the labor market would need to cool down before the Fed could feel confident about making sustainable progress towards its 2% inflation target. November's employment report showed robust job and wage growth, which indicated any cooling remained in the future. So what's interesting about the economy is, are we in a recession or not? To answer that question is, is for months now, once the decline started happening earlier this year in 2022, I was uh, I was just advocating for that, you know, looking around, it just looks like we're in a recession and the equity markets are pricing that in. A lot of people weren't willing to say that. Um, and here we are looking at 2023, uh, a continuation of the the bear market that we're in. And uh, it's, it's mostly focused on the Fed. That's why I talk so much about the Fed and interest rates and inflation is because as they're raising interest rates, it's slowing down. Uh, economic activity. And you're going to see the results of that here as uh, months go by. And as we look back at the fourth quarter, when we're standing in the first quarter of next year, it ought to be very interesting to see where uh, the stock market and the economy, uh, where they're at at that time. So I'll keep you posted as we move forward. And this week in Economic Data Monday, the PMI report, Factory Orders, Institute for Supply Chain Management, or ISM Services Index, all of that is reported Thursday. Jobless claims, the Purchasing Managers Index, or PMI Manufacturing, is released on Thursday. Friday, the PPI, or Producer Price Index, and uh, Consumer Sentiment is also released. So in for this week, companies reporting earnings. Tuesday, AutoZone uh, and MongoDB, which is MD. B, uh, for those that are familiar with them, I'm not, but you guys might be. Wednesday, Campbell Soup, which I am familiar with. Thursday, Broadcom, Costco, and Chewy's. So stay tuned for that. Uh, <clears throat> this week's tax tip. IRAs are one tool in the retirement planning toolbox. There are many tools to use to plan for retirement, and an IRA is one of them, or an individual retirement account. There are two kinds of IRAs. There's traditional IRAs and there are Roth IRAs. Here are some quick facts about both of them. Number one, a traditional IRA is tax-advantaged personal savings plan where contributions may be tax-deductible. Number two, generally, the money in a traditional IRA isn't taxed until it's withdrawn. Number three, there are annual limits to contributions depending on the person's age and the type of IRA. Number four, with a traditional IRA, taxpayers must start taking withdrawals from their IRAs when they reach the age of 72. Number five, a taxpayer can't deduct contributions to a Roth IRA. Number six, qualified distributions to a Roth IRA are tax-free. Number seven, Roth IRAs don't require withdrawals until after the death of the owner. And again, as a reminder, this information is not intended to be a substitute for specific individualized tax advice. We suggest that you discuss your specific tax issues with a qualified tax professional. And this tip was adapted from irs.gov. All right, on to the next segment. So we're going to take a moment and review 
November of 2022. This is December 5th. Stocks surged higher in November on rising optimism that the Fed would slow down future interest rate hikes. The Dow Jones Industrial Average gained 5.67% for the month, while the S&P 500 picked up 5.38%. The tech-heavy NASDAQ composite rose 4.38%. A true investor welcomes volatility. A widely fluctuating market means that irrationally low prices will periodically be attached to solid businesses. Who said that? Well, that was Warren Buffett. He said that American business magnate, investor, and philanthropist, <clears throat> a determined Fed. So <clears throat> in November, as expected, the, the FOMC or the Federal Open Market Committee ended its November 1st and 2nd meeting, announcing its fourth consecutive 75 basis point percentage or 0.75% hike in federal funds rate. In the accompanying statement, the FOMC suggested that a potential easing in subsequent rate hikes, which is likely to happen, Fed Chair Powell talked about it recently. Stocks rallied on the news, but did an abrupt reversal when uh, Fed Chair Powell struck a much more hawkish tone in his post-meeting press conference, and he did. Losses accelerated into the following day, cementing a poor start to the new month. So the markets turned around in the following week. However, when a lower than expected inflation report triggered the biggest one-day stock market gain in more than two years, the report revived hopes of a slowdown in the pace of in the size of future rate hikes. The tech-heavy Nasdaq gained 7.4% for the day alone. So as the month progressed in November, again, public comments by Fed officials appeared to pour cold water on investors' hopes despite these hawkish comments. Stocks rallied during the holiday week, which was Thanksgiving, and picked up momentum following the release of the FOMC meeting minutes the day before Thanksgiving. So Powell's confirmations, the meeting minutes suggested that an imminent easing in rate hikes may be in the offing. The minutes revealed that, the mo that most Fed officials felt a slowdown in the pace of rate hike increases was appropriate. Fed official pointed to the growing risk of the, that the Fed may increase rates beyond what was required to reduce inflation, basically causing potentially a recession, hard, medium, soft, or hard landing, who knows. Stocks surged higher to close out the month after comments by Powell uh, that the Fed was prepared to ease up on coming rate hikes. So they're still hiking, they're just easing on them. Uh, sector scorecard, all 11 industry sectors were positive for the month with gains in communication services at 6.85%, consumer staples at 6.12%, energy at 1.28%, financials at 6.86%, healthcare at 4.72%, industrials at 7.81%, materials at 11.70%, Real estate at 6.83% and utilities have positive 6.96%. Elsewhere, consumer discretionary rose 1.49% and technology added 6.33%. Crazy. So a lot of sectors were up last month. The U.S. market recap for November, it was. The, again, the S&P was up 5.38. NASDAQ was up 438 Russell 1000 was up 5.20. Ten-year Treasury was at 3.65. It came off of that 4% print uh, in the previous month in October. So 
year to date, the S&P is down about for the through the month of November, about 14.39%. NASDAQ down 26.70% for the year through November. Russell 1000, 15.37 for the year and then 2.14 on the two year on the on, excuse me, the 10 year treasury note. So all of this data is pulled from Yahoo Finance through November 30th, 2022. Um, what investors may be talking about in December. So in so here we are, the, the 5th of December, the very beginning of December. We're heading into Christmas, and typically there's a Santa Claus rally. It's typically seasonal. Uh, doesn't always happen, but it can and does more often than not. The financial markets will again focus on the Fed as it concludes its two-day meeting on December 14th. November's 75 basis point percent increase in the federal funds rate marked the fourth consecutive 75 basis point hike since June. Inflation appears to be trending lower and the job market shows signs of cooling, which may help influence the Fed's decision. The Fed has prepared the financial markets for its next move, so it, it's unlikely to change its course. It's an open question whether the November Consumer Price Index or CPI report which will be released on December 13th, will impact the Fed's decision. Investors are expected to pay close attention to Fed Chair Powell's comments following the FOMC's announcement. In November, stock prices rallied after the release of the meeting statement, only to reverse course on Powell's hawkish tone in response to the reporter's questions. So in world markets, overseas markets rallied in November as the MSCI EFA index picked up 11.08 or 0.8%. In Europe, Italy gained 9.51% and Germany rose 8.63%. Elsewhere, France added 7.53%. The UK tacked on 6.99% and Spain advanced 5.11%. Pacific Rim markets were strong with Australia climbing 6.13% and Japan adding 1.38%. China, uh, China's Hang Seng index had a sharp rally picking up 26.62%. World market recap for November. I'm not going to go through all the data on all of this to bore you, but um, it's out there on my blog. It's posted uh, on the monthly basis as a recap. And again, a lot of this data is derived from Yahoo Finance through November 30th, 2022. So economic indicators uh, an important one, gross domestic product or GDP. The second reading of the third quarter GDP was revised higher to 2.9%, up from 2.6%. On the employment front, employers continue to hire with payrolls rising by 261,000 jobs in October. While this is a strong number, it was down from 315,000 in September. The unemployment rate ticked higher to 3.7%, while the average hourly Earnings rose 4.7% from a year ago. Retail sales uh, retail sales rose 1.3% in October, helped by early discounting from retailers and purchases of building materials and home furnishings in the wake of Hurricane Ian. <clears throat> industrial production. So industrial production fell 0.1% or 10 basis points, coming in lower than consensus forecast for an increase of 0.1%. Housing. Housing starts declined by 4.2% in October, dragged down by single family home starts, which reached their lowest level in nearly two and a half years. 
The year-over-year decline was 8.8%. So housing's really in a secular recession already. October's existing home sales fell 5.9% from their September levels and 28.4% from a year earlier as higher mortgage rates drove potential buyers out of the market. Obviously, that's what we're witnessing. It was the ninth consecutive month that sales fell. New home sales unexpectedly jumped 7.5% in October despite higher mortgage rates. Sales were down 5.8% from a year ago. The median price of a new home rose, get this, 15.4% from last October's level. Amazing. So I was sharing with a friend of mine that I think that home values, residential home values like the majority of us live in are likely to go down by another 10% by, oh, April, I would think by the spring, we're going to see a consistent decline of that. And we'll see where they end up landing, but they're, who knows? Who knows where they're going to be? Depends on the Fed, actually. Consumer price index or CPI, inflation moderated in October, rising 0.4% month over month and coming in below market expectations of 0.6%. The 12-month rate remained elevated at 7.7% under the consensus estimate of 7.9%. Core inflation, excluding the energy and food sectors, was 0.3% month over month in October, which was lower than the projected 0.5%. So a little bit of a decline in inflation, durable goods orders. So orders of goods expected to last three years or longer, that's durable goods, were up 1%, exceeding economists' expectations of a 0.4% increase. That's interesting. The Fed, the Federal Reserve announced, again, 75% uh, 75% rate hike in federal funds at the conclusion of its two-day October meeting of the FOMC. The statement accompanying the announcement, the FOMC said that future increases would take into account the cumulative monetary tightening to date and the lag in the impacts resulting from such tightening. So what that says is it's a they're going to kind of wait and see how the the, the quick rise an interest rate is going. interest rates is actually going to impact the economy, and they're going to take a little bit of a breather to see how that plays out, um, because it's a lagging indicator. Uh, it takes some time for that to work through the system. In his post-meeting press conference, Chair Powell said and added that it was too soon to consider any slowdown in the pace of rate hikes, and that the terminal rate maybe higher than originally expected. They're actually thinking that it's going to be, the terminal rate is going to be around like five, five and a quarter percent in the federal funds, FYI. And we're not there yet. So it's, we're still going higher from here. Uh, just the pace is not as much. In November, meeting minutes released just before Thanksgiving, Fed officials indicated they were likely slow the pace of rate hikes soon, suggesting that such slowing may begin with December's meeting. We'll see what happens on like the 13th or the 15th of this month. So that being said, um, let's talk about Christmas, the history of Christmas trees. This is interesting. 50. The number 50 uh, are the states where Christmas trees are grown. So they're grown in all 50 states. 25 to 30 million are the number of real Christmas trees sold in the U.S. every year. 25 to 30 million of them. 350 million. That's the number of trees growing on U.S. Christmas tree farms. 
350,000 acres. That's the number of acres in the U.S. growing Christmas trees. One to three seedlings each spring is the number of seedlings planted to replace harvested Christmas trees in almost 15,000 farms, which is the number of tree farms in the United States. So the average height of a harvested Christmas tree is six to seven feet, and the average time to grow a Christmas tree to harvest height is seven years. So the most common Christmas tree, guess what? Scotch pine. The most popular tree in the U.S. is the Fraser fir. And then the most fragrant variety of Christmas tree is the Basalm fir. Basalm fir. There you go. That was the fun fact for the day uh, and facts and numbers about Christmas trees as we head into the Christmas season. So um, I'm going to release another podcast next week. Uh, I think this will do it for this week. We've covered quite a bit of economic data for the month and for the last week. Stay tuned for next week's where I'll tackle some of the technical market analysis and uh, weekly revisions of and updates in the the stock market and the the economy and the Fed, of course, with interest rates and inflation. Stay tuned and I hope you enjoyed this week's podcast. I'll talk to you soon. Thanks. Bye.